It's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, we are continuing in our series, Thrive. Before we do, I, I just want to say, I know a lot of people don't like to sit in the front row, but I just found out uh, this week that if you're in the front row, you actually don't have to wear a mask when you're worshiping. Um, that because of safety rules and so forth. And so I wore it because I didn't want anyone judging me uh, as we were singing at the beginning of service, but I probably will be singing face mask all free uh, at the end because I'm in the front row. So if you're in the front row, there's a little perk and next week, hopefully it'll be flooded up here. But uh, anyway, for the rest of you, mask on, mask on. Uh, we're in this series, Thrive. Uh, we're talking about the fact that many of us I, in 2020 are just trying to survive. Uh, but God has a better path for us. He really does desire for us to thrive. And this past week, I came across this meme that I just wanted to share with you really quick. And so here it comes. It's basically how I'm handling life. This is fine. I'm fine. And I'm guessing many people can relate to that in one way or another. Thrive. God has many things on this pathway to thriving that allow us to, to enjoy life with him, to really have his power and peace rule within us. And what we're going to look at this morning is repentance and restoration. We're going to do a deep dive into Psalm 51. Now, let me begin by acknowledging something that, that I'm sure all of us are, are understanding this, that, that it's a difficult topic for many people, this idea of repentance and restoration. Shame has kept far too many people from approaching the Lord for repentance and to find restoration. And so I want to pull a verse right from the outset of this message from Psalm 51, verse 17, just to encourage us to, to set our spirits at, at ease as we head into this psalm. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. When we come to the Lord in repentance, we come to a God who, who wants to lavish us with his love. When we come to the Lord with a right attitude, he lovingly receives us. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. Don't let shame keep you from receiving the blessing God has for you. Don't let shame keep you from the blessing that God has for you. Because repentance and restoration are used by God to help us thrive. Psalm 51 was written by David in a low point in his life. And some people find it difficult to, to realize that this psalm is, is added to Scripture. This psalm that comes out of such a tumultuous event is added to scripture to worship. And we shouldn't be, because the Bible as a whole, and the Psalms in particular, are meant for the whole of life, for the ups and the downs. And, and that this Psalm written in, in a time of anguish, in a time of repentance, in a time of grief, is as important as any written for celebratory moments. And so we're gonna, we're gonna jump in, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 reflects David's repentance after being confronted by the prophet Nathan. The prophet Nathan confronts him. David has committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's actually had uh, Bathsheba's husband Uriah murdered to cover up his sin. And it seems like it hasn't really affected David. Now we have to just sort of assume that as we read his story and, and, and look at sort of what's going on in his life. But it seems like David's heart has become hard. But over and over again, he's justified the sin. I mean, after all, he's the king. He did what he thought was best. Was it really that big a deal? And so Nathan comes to confront him, and Nathan's a prophet, but David's a king. And so Nathan confronts him in a pretty creative way. He says to David, he tells him a story of this really poor individual who has this 
this animal that he's raised since, a, since it was a baby, and, and this rich person comes and steals this animal and like kills it and eats it. I mean, it's this sort of this type of story, and, and David is enraged. <laughs> David's mad that someone in this kingdom would show such injustice, especially to someone with such need. And, and he says, this person should die. Can you imagine? And Nathan says, David, you're that person. You're the one that's done that. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where your sin's been revealed, where it's been laid bare before you, and you honestly look at it and understand the weight that is placed upon you, but David does just that. He's cut to the quick. He's broken. He's a wreck before God. His heart begins to melt. And this psalm is powerful because of David's honesty by revealing the depth of his anguish and repentance before God. So let's dig in. Psalm 51, let's start with verses 1 through 4. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Again, you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. When we read the Psalm of David, it really reveals that sin is more than a committed act. I mean, certainly David had committed the seventh, had broken the seventh commandment. He had committed adultery. He even broke the sixth commandment. He had Uriah murdered. He sinned in breaking these commandments and, and, and others suffered, namely Bathsheba, whose dignity was violated, and Uriah, whose life was taken from him. And yet he says in verse 4, and dare I say, when I first came across this verse, I was probably a teenager, it troubled me. Because David says, against you and you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Against you and you only have I sinned. Now, I remember looking at it as a teenager and going, how could David say that? He has sinned against Bathsheba, right? He has sinned against Uriah. And yet David understood that at the root, sin all sin is a disregard for the holiness of God and is a sin against him. Let me say this again. At its root, all sin is a disregard for the holiness of God and is a sin against him. In other words, David's not mitigating. He's, he's not trying to, to say he hadn't wronged Bathsheba. He's not saying he hadn't wronged Uriah. But what David understood, but the mar in David's life was really between him and God. It, was, it wasn't between him and a commandment. It was between him and God. I think it's important we understand that. Because a lot of people see like the, the Bible as this rule book, right? It's, 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 God's, it's, it's God's way of sort of cosmically trying to rob joy from our life. And, and why would we ever think that something that's forbidden in God's word would bring us anything but heartache? But we do sometimes. And people sometimes think that way of God. Oh, you better not break his commandments. He'll be mad at you. But see, those commandments reflect who God is. The laws in Scripture, the, 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 the precepts that we're supposed to walk in are, are, are a path to bring us to joy and freedom and liberation. And, and yet sometimes we can think, man, it's, it's about not breaking or breaking the rules. And it's really not. It's about interrupting our fellowship with God. That's what it's at at its, at its base. It's our holy God who's the giver of the commandments. And when we sin, we really sin against him. 
And we should understand that, right? That, that if, if I were to do something wrong to any of you in this room, that our relationship would have an issue. Our relationship would have an issue. And it's the same between us and God. Look at verses 5 through 11. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let my bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. So David is sharing about sin, and the first is what? That when we sin, we're sinning against the holy God. We're sinning against his holiness. We're, we're sinning against his love for us. And the second is this. We're not sinners because we sin, but sin because we're born into sin. Think about that for a minute. Let that sink in. Let that marinate in your mind. We, we, we're not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we're born into sin. And since we're born into sin, we have a sinful nature, and no kind of inner resolve or, or self-help can, can get us out of it. I've had many an individual come to me who's, 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 who's sinned, and, and they'll say to me, they'll say, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I should be strong enough, and, and I know better. And, and, and although these things are true, what, what's secretly being revealed is, I think in my own strength, I should be able to be a really good person. And I think if we were all to be honest, if we were left to our own desires, the inclination isn't always to be a good person. Looking out for number one. And the scripture clearly teaches this. Clearly teaches this. David cries out, behold, I brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. We're not sinners because we sin, but we're, we sin because we're born into sin. So where's the hope? Well, restoration is found in God alone. God alone. Only God can cleanse us and, and make us white as snow. Only God can create in us a clean heart. Only God can draw us into his presence and empower us with the Holy Spirit. We don't have the ability to do these things. God does it to him when we humbly come to him. Many of us try to put our good and bad on a cosmic scale, and we think if we can just do enough good and it can counteract the, the bad, then, then, then we're okay. And the reality is, who in here is smart enough to figure that game out? It's frustrating. It leaves us hopeless. The hope is in Christ. See, the psalm makes clear one of the profound mysteries of the Bible, one of the profound mysteries of Scripture. On the one hand, the Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead in our trespasses and sins. But on the other hand, the scripture calls people to do things like come and repent and believe and return. Why is that a mystery? Because a dead person can't do anything. A dead person can't come to God. A dead person can't repent. A dead person can't believe. A dead person can't return. At least I hope not. That would be freaky. A dead person doesn't have the ability for these things to, to occur within them. So how do we resolve this? Well, the answer is simple. We don't. God does. God resolves it. Look at verses 12 through 16. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. 
Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will delight, will not delight in sacrifice or, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. See, repentance and, and restoration are only possible by God's grace. And, and what David's talking about here is so important for us to wrap our minds around. He, in the Old Testament, they had, they had sacrifice system, and they'd bring sin sacrifices, and that was to cover their sin. It was a foreshadowing of the one to come, Jesus Christ. But it was part of their worship. They gave as part of their worship, and they sacrificed as part of their worship, and they sang as part of their worship. And David says, you don't want any of those things. Now, David's not saying God doesn't want to be worshipped in those ways. What he's saying is none of, those things mean, none of those things mean anything if I haven't brought my heart to you. See, some people think you can do whatever you want during the week, then you come into church on Sunday morning and it's all okay. If you thought that, bad news, it's not. You know? I have a good friend who says going to church doesn't make you a Christian anymore than going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. Anyone want a Big Mac? That sounds good, right? But, but you know what I'm saying? That's what David's getting at. David's saying it's not about the good acts. It's, it's not about putting on a good act. It's about being real with God, finding forgiveness from him. I've had people say to me, I, I, I can't walk into that church building because if I do, it's going to burn down. I'm like, there's worse people than you walking into this church building and I'm burned down. You're okay. God's big enough to handle all of our sin. He's big enough to handle wherever, whatever we've done, wherever we're coming from. He loves us, and he's, he's waiting for us. It, it's not about the, the, the acts of worship. It's about the heart of worship. And David understood that, that repentance and restoration are only possible by God's grace. In, in the midst of our spiritual death, God grants us sufficient grace to respond to his call. Isn't that good news? We're dead in our trespasses, so how do we come from him? Because he offers grace enough to say, come to me. <laughs> And if God says, come, just like Jesus spoke to a Lazarus who is dead, when he says to the dead, come forth, guess what the dead are able to do? Come forth. They come to God. God makes it possible for us to respond to him, but we must take the steps to come to him and confess and, and repent so we can be restored. See, we, we cannot genuinely repent and be restored apart from God's grace, but once enabled, we have a real choice to make. Once God calls us, once we hear the good news, we have a choice to make. And David responded through an act of repentance, and God restored him. And our Lord God can do the same for you and me. We must repent of our sins in order for the Lord to make us new and restore us. I mean, we, we, we repent of our sins, and, and, and that's how we enter into salvation. We come to the Lord, and we say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. But thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins and being resurrected for my salvation. Like he did the work we couldn't do on the cross. And the scripture says when we, when we come to him, like we're saved. He's covered our sins. But Christian, listen to me. How many of you left making that decision thinking you were going to be just like Jesus from that point on? Like you, you left thinking everything was different. You are different. Your position in Christ is different. 
but your sin tendencies are there. And, and you got up and, and you, you walked out and you had your first fight and you thought, well, that isn't what a Christian does. You had that first thought. You fell back into that old practice. Let me tell you, you're a believer. You're in Christ. You're still wrestling with sin. That's what sanctification is all about. Sanctification speaks of becoming more like Jesus. Saved means I was dead, now I'm alive in Christ. Sanctification means I'm alive in Christ, now I'm becoming like him. Or better yet, I'm becoming the person I am in Christ. Like I am free, I am powerful, I am cleansed. Lord, help me act like it. And so we come to the Lord and we ask for forgiveness when we sin. Why? Because again, if I sin against any of you, you would understand that relationship has an issue. I've got to come and ask for forgiveness. I've got to make that right. It's the same with God. That any finite sin against an infinite God has infinite consequences. But listen to this. The finite act of an infinite God has infinite consequences. We enter into a relationship with him, a saving relationship with him. And we can be confident in that relationship as the Hebrew writers write that we could come confidently for God before him in our time of need because he loves us, keeping a short account with God. One of the first verses I memorized as a teenager was 1 John 1, 9. 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, if we, if we take that act, if we, if we go for that invitation of God saying, come to me, we confess our sins. God is what? Faithful and just. And will cleanse us of our sins. It doesn't say that when we come to him, God says, I told you so. It doesn't say when we come to him that he piles on condemnation. It says what? He is faithful and just and he forgives and he makes us righteous. I love Numbers 14, 18. It says, God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. He's slow to what? Anger. He, he abounds in steadfast what? Love. See, us coming to the Lord for forgiveness is such an act of grace. That, that until we give our sin over to him, we carry that weight. And it's not until we give it over to him that we realize how heavy that weight has been. And what does he do? He responds in love and, and grace. And, and, and he's not angry. He's, he's thankful that we finally come to him. I know many a time I've thought in my life, God, where have you gone when I've been in that dark place? And we know in scripture, he went nowhere. I did. My heart did. I strayed away. I was trying just to survive. And God says, come to me, repent, be restored so you can thrive. Repent and receive God's forgiveness and be cleansed. Come to God with humility, seek his face and receive grace. Repent and ask for forgiveness. Be restored. Repentance and restoration are used by God to help us thrive. I heard the story of a mom who sent her son away to college and, uh, and she gave him a new Bible. And she said, here's your new Bible. I just wanted you to have a new Bible. She went away to college and, and off he went. 
Eventually, uh, he was running out of money, so he called home. I don't know if the story's true or not, but it makes a good point. She, he calls home, and he says to his mom, he says, hey, look, uh, I need some money, and she gave him a Bible verse. And I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a bad situation someone just gives you a Bible verse? Come on now. You know the spiritual answer is yes, and it meant the world to me, right? <laughs> the real answer is I'm in trouble, you know? I don't, and this is where he was. He's like, I need, all right, so he hung up. He, he didn't look it up. He thought, my goodness. Well, the money situation got worse, and he called home again, and the mom gave him another verse. He got frustrated and hung up and humbly called back a few days later, and she gave him another verse. She did this over and over again. Finally got tired of calling, and one night he was so frustrated, he thought, you know, I'm just going to look at one of those verses, and there was a $20 bill. Over and over again, as he looked at the verses his mom had given to him, there was money in his Bible. I think that's pretty cool. I might even try that, but now my son knows, so I probably won't. But, uh, but just think about it. What's really the point there? The point is, is that the mom had the power. She set up the plan. And the son, out of sort of arrogance, decided not to follow it. How many times do we do that to God? Why do I need to repent? Why do I need to humble myself? Why do I need to come this way? Why don't you just make it easier? Why don't... Because he's God, and he knows better. And we can, out of arrogance and pride, keep ourselves in shame, keep ourselves from coming to him and receiving what he has for us. Or we can humble ourselves and come to him and receive life, forgiveness, restoration, the power to survive. When I was in middle school, uh, in high school, I guess it was, I learned a prayer course. Maybe you've never heard of a prayer course before. Um, and I heard this prayer chorus, and it comes right from this psalm, and as I was studying this week, preparing for this morning, the Lord said, share that with your congregation. And I said, you mean ask someone to do it? He said, no, I want you to do it. And so I'm really praying that the Holy Spirit somehow interprets what I'm about to do into something that's meaningful for you, and it will be an act of God. But the prayer chorus goes something like this. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, God, and restore right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, oh, God, and restore right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me. The joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. What powerful words. And I totally assume you're clapping for David's words on that one. That's what God offers us every day. Keep a short account with God. I'm going to pray in just a moment, and I'm actually going to read a prayer. Some people think that scripted prayers aren't meaningful because they're not from the heart. And, and I just want to say that sometimes we say things from the heart that we probably should have wrote down. Matter of fact, some of us say things from the heart that we should have wrote down, threw away, and rewrote. <laughs> so, so written prayers can have power. And this prayer I, I came across many years ago. I, I can't give credit to who I originally got it from and because I don't know. I don't, I don't have it in my notes. And and the re reality is, over the years, I've, I've put my own words into it. I'll remind you, too, that the Bible is scripted. 
Just a thought. Uh, the Holy Spirit inspired. And so as we pray, I, I just want to pray this. As I pray this over us, if it's your prayer, just make it yours. Say, God, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. That's, that's where my heart is. And, and, and let him do that work in you that only he can do. God takes us when we repent and restores us. He takes us from people merely surviving to people who can thrive. So, Father God, thank you so much that we can come before you. Thank you for the, the gift of your love. Lord Jesus, I'm, as I pray this scripted prayer, may it be more than words, may it be something that just resonates in my heart. Lord Jesus, I'm tired of the sin struggle in my life. I feel distant from you. My choices have not led me into the right places. I've listened, I've listened to the whispers of my enemy instead of your words in scripture. And the result has been disastrous. I once walked with you, my heart tender to your leading, yet little by little I exchanged your truths for temptations and deceit that led me away from you. Instead of taking thoughts captive and confessing them immediately, I allowed them to grow totally out of control. Repentance was not in my vocabulary. Blame, cover-ups, or trying to reason and rationalize sin never work. They only give birth to the deeper sin entanglements. You created me in your own image, Lord. You know my thoughts before I speak them. You x-ray my heart and see through my excuses and intentions. Your spirit warned me, but I ignored you. Disappointment and discouragement have taken their toll on me. So today I'm confessing my desperate need for you. You've promised that if we will confess our sin, you will forgive us and make us clean again. Lord, I truly need your forgiveness. Repentance is on my heart and lips. I want to turn around and head another direction, back to you, Lord. But I need your help. I take all the blame. I own my own sin. I'm the one who broke fellowship with you and am crushed over the way I treated you in your name. Just as you created the world out of nothing, Lord, create a clean heart out of my nothingness. You paid for my sin with your own death. Restore my life and fellowship we once shared together. You don't condemn me, and you won't disown me, for I am your child forever. And Lord Jesus, I pray that if there's anyone in here this morning who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, anyone who's watching online or throughout the week, uh, that, Lord, they would take that step, that they would come to you, that they would declare themselves, I, I recognize that I'm a sinner, and, and I thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for my sins, being resurrected for my salvation. I want that right relationship with you. Lord Jesus, for any of us who have, who have made that decision, we've walked the path, we know the struggles. We know the times that we've justified our sins. And so, Lord, would you forgive us of that? Make us, make us right with you. We're, we're already in the kingdom, but, but maybe walk in that path of being right with you. This journey of sanctification can be messy because of our decisions, but it's quite an amazing blessing because of your work. May we not be discouraged. May we be quick to come to you as we become more and more like Jesus. Thank you that, that as believers, we don't have to allow shame in any way to rule over us. For we have a Savior who's already taken care of that. Lord, have your way, I pray. And I, I just ask as we leave here that, 
that any of the weights of sin that they have been on our backs when we came in will be, will be gone. That we'll walk in freedom. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the grace that allows us to come to you like this. Thank you for your restorative power in our life. For your profound love. In Jesus' name, amen.